move forward in, in my relationship to Jesus. And then I found out that it's not about that after all. That, that, that's not what Christianity is, is about. Matthew 15 is this great little text um, in the New Testament. And it records this story that really happened where some religious leaders confronted Jesus and his disciples for not following uh, certain ritualistic laws. They had these rules that they kind of wanted everybody to, to play by. And, and they said, because you and your guys don't do this, you are spiritually unclean. You're, you're, you're outside of, of, of things. In fact, you're, you're in sin. You ever had somebody to be just kind of judgmental like that and say, you're in sin because you did this or because you didn't do that, you know? And, uh, and sometimes it may be legit, and sometimes it could be because of a certain teaching that, that they embraced. Now, as I walk through this and as I talk about the fact that, um, that life is not about just do's and don'ts and laws and rules, uh, in the midst of this, I feel this need to make something kind of clear. I'm to make it really clear, actually, uh, is that I'm not talking about big things like don't steal. Well, that's just your rule, man. You, just, you can't steal stuff. You're just putting pressure on me. You're just being so judgmental. No, now I'm not talking about don't steal, don't murder, don't lie. Uh, those are real issues. What I'm talking about is kind of like what's reflected in this text that we're going to look at. Rules like don't help somebody on the Sabbath because it's a certain day of the week. You can't help them. Or that, don't touch that. That's unclean, and that'll make you unclean, and you'll be sinful if you even if, if, you, if you do that. And, and here's the one... Uh, that, that's kind of in focus today. Don't eat without washing your hands first, or you're in sin. You're not just dirty. It's a sinful thing. It, it's right up there with don't associate with a Gentile. I mean, it was, it was bad. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 15 in the first verse. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples... Break the traditions of the elders, for they do not wash their hands when they eat. <gasps> I mean, you think of all the issues in the world. You think of all the things that are going on and all the evil and the war and, and disease and all of this. And these guys are banging on them because they said, you know what? I, you guys don't wash up. And, it, and it's really, it kind of bothers us because it's very important. Now, the reason they brought this up, one, is they were looking for every little thing. You know, you got people like that in your life, right, who just kind of watch and just wait for you to do, you know, oh, got you again, I got you again. Maybe it's your husband. <laughs> maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's somebody who's just kind of waiting. The Pharisees were sort of like that, not like your husband, okay, not like your parents. They're, they're good people. These people believed strongly that if you didn't wash your hands before you ate, you were committing very serious sin. Some of you may be thinking, you know, when I first read this, I thought, That's, that explains a lot about my mom. <laughs> she was a southern kind of Pharisee. And, and this must be where she got that, you know. Have you washed your hands? And that was like, a, a, that was a big deal, a big deal to her. Well, this law is not about the same thing. It's not the same motivation that your mom had when she wouldn't let you come to the dinner table. To a Pharisee, this was huge. It was, uh, it, this law, where did it come from? You know, this was a, a big deal. Well, where did, where did they get that? Is it from the Old Testament? No. 
Do you know where they got it? It was one of the traditions of the elders. You see, the way this worked was um, it came from the teaching of these important Jewish leaders all throughout the centuries. They had begun to uh, tack on certain laws, uh, rituals, and customs. They had, uh, you know, this way, how are we going to interpret God's word and how are we going to figure out what this means? Well, we will help you with that because, you know, a lot of people didn't read, they didn't write, they didn't understand. So they would say, okay, here's this rule, here's this real law that God, it's important to God's heart. And we know you, you know, poor folks, you can't understand that. So we're going to explain it and we're going to add on 10 more laws. For instance, you know, there was the law that you should honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. They added to that 600 more laws. You're probably breaking several of those right now. I mean, you know, it was just impossible to keep these things, but that's what they did. They added on all these things, and after a while, something began to happen. The Pharisees... These, these guys who were the ones teaching considered all the rules, these traditions of the elders, superior to the actual scripture that it was based on. The law became secondary to the traditions of the elders. And whatever was taught was only considered reliable uh, and your interpretation of Scripture had to kind of match up. They would put it on this grid of the teachings that the elders did, and if it fit, you're okay. If not, sorry, but that's sin, even if it wasn't the original rule. Now, for some of us, we think, ah, that doesn't sound fair, and that sounds pretty terrible, but you know what? I found that today there are churches who feel the same way and act the same way. I mean, there are denominational dogmas that some people were brought up under. You know, I have a friend who said, you know, I always struggle with this issue because I was just raised that way. I said, but, you know, it's not in Scripture. He goes, yeah, well, I know, but it's what what we taught, you know. And, And some of us have come from all different kind of backgrounds. And so there's these things that have attached themselves to our personality and to our worldview and the way we understand God and the way we try to develop relationship with Him, not because of what we've learned from the Bible, but because because of what somebody else told us. This is the way it should be or the way it shouldn't be. And not all of that's bad, but a lot of it seeped in is really not scriptural. Now, the Pharisees kind of had done this. They, they, they called Jesus on the carpet because he and his disciples didn't wash their hands. That, seriously, that was the issue. And Jesus responded, sort of in effect, you know, he, he, he said, you know, if, if you think that following God is all about washing your hands before you eat and all these other religious rituals, you're totally missing the point of what it is to be in relationship. And in the next few verses, he points out three things that he really wants people to know to have a personal relationship with God. What is necessary for that? So what I'd like to do over the next several minutes is take a closer look at Jesus' remarks to the Pharisee and, and consider, what can I do to guard my heart and my life from falling into that same trap? From developing that mentality of, oh, here, you know, I, I know here's the rule, but I've got 50 more rules. And if, and if you're not following my rules, then sorry, you must not be Christian or you must not really be serious about this. So let's take a closer look at that today because I think this sin of 
I don't know how to define it, Phariseeism or whatever, is something that I've been in churches for a long time now, um, about the same length of time almost within a couple of years that the Dorans have been married. Long time, uh, incredibly long time. So I've come to understand being in and out of different churches that a lot of people struggle with this. No matter what your background, you may have a different sort of set of things going on, but we all do that. And for those of you who think and say, you know, you know what's wrong with preachers today? They just don't talk about sin enough. These guys ought to talk about sin. Well, today I'm going to make your dreams come true uh, because I'm, I'm going to really hit on this sin. And it's probably one that many people in this, this room are having a hard time with. Um, so first of all, let's get, let's get cranked up. What I'd like for you to notice is from the scripture is this. There is no loophole in obedience. There's no loophole for obedience. When the Pharisees asked Jesus, hey, why aren't your disciples um, ceremonially washing uh, their hands before eating? See, this was part of a ritual that you had to do, and it kind of kept you spiritual. It wasn't about just having clean hands. Here's what Jesus said in verse 3, chapter 15 and verse 3. He answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father and mother. So, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. And after that, he's going to call him a name. He feels so strongly about it that uh, he goes on. And what he's referring to is a loophole that the Pharisees had found in the teachings of the elders. You know, they had gone through the law. Uh, they had studied this real closely, and they used it to avoid this responsibility they had to their parents and to anyone else uh, that they should have shown compassion to or that needed help. Now, in those days, there were no retirement plans. Nobody had a 401k. Uh, there was not investment like we understand it today. There was no Social Security, no Medicare, any of that. It was considered to be a son's responsibility to take care of his aging parents. Uh, and unless there was a problem or there wasn't a son in the family, then they had alternate ideas in place. But, but that was a tradition that said, and it said this, a son is bound to support his father even if he has to beg him for it. But the teachers of the law had developed another tradition that kind of ran in sync alongside this over here, kind of parallel, uh, that superseded this responsibility to one's parents. It also kind of trumped the, uh, the fifth commandment in, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. The Bible says, honor your father and mother. Now, here's the loophole. Sometime in the past, a tradition developed that allowed a person to call his possessions Corban. Corban. Can you say that with me? Corban. And what that meant was the possessions of God or sacrificed for God. If a man had possessions or accounts or, you know, some money hidden away somewhere, what he could do is say, I would like to dedicate everything I have to the temple of God. And so I just, I give all these things. And the rule was this. Okay, that's a beautiful thing, and you've signed everything over. 
Now, we're going to allow you to continue to use your house, your chariot, you know, your, what, your pig. Your, they probably wouldn't have a pig, but um, uh, you, whatever it is that you had, uh, you know, all the stuff that you've got, your money. You're gonna, you can continue to use that, but upon your death, we come get it. The day after you die, receiving of friends and the funeral, and all the temple guys show up and say, okay, load it up, boys. And, and they take everything that you have because it belongs to them. Now, there was a, a little thing about that uh, that was locked into place. You can use those items that you've dedicated to the Lord, those things that are Corban. You, th- those are, you can use them, but you can't give them to anyone else because they're not yours. They don't belong to you. You've given them away to the temple, so you can't let anybody else have them. So, you know, if your father said, well, you know, you know I, had to, I had to sell my chariot to, to pay your tuition, and now I don't have it. Can, can I borrow the chariot to, because there's a Pharaoh's concert tonight, and uh, your mom and I would like to go. It's sort of, you know, that oldies, old, old Egyptian music, and we're going to go and and no, I'm sorry, I'd love to let you have it, but can't do it. Corbin, oh, sorry, Dad. Oh, well, okay, well, we understand. Can, I, can we just use your, your iPod and just listen to the Pharaoh? No, Dad, I can't even let you use that because Corbin, oh, man, I'm so sorry. Bum, I, Dad, I, do, I gave it to the temple, and now only I can use it. That's how this worked. So you got off, and you didn't have to feel guilty because you had given it to God. But at the same time, here your parents and other people uh, going without because you've pledged it to be given away upon your death. This means that if you had you know, like 10 pair of shoes, and your dad's shoes were worn out, and he had the same size, and you say, oh, Dad, I'd love to let you wear a pair of my shoes, but I can't do it. You know, you're going to have to go barefoot because those are God's shoes, and he don't want you wearing them. Now, we don't do exactly the same thing, but almost today. We don't use the word Corbin, but we still look for loopholes. And we're always going through Scripture and going, yeah, it doesn't say this, but it says that. And, well, I'm kind of freed up because, you know, the Bible doesn't mention this. I think I, I, think I and in your heart, you know, it's really not right. But we're always looking uh, for, for loopholes. And things we can kind of hang on to. Um, for instance, I was trying to think of some examples of this. One that's kind of more familiar with me because I live in the bubble, you know, here and at church. Is it, we're real sensitive to gossip. We've all seen how destructive it can be and, and just how much damage has been done through the years of gossip. So as Christians, we don't gossip. What we do is share. Totally different totally different. And the highest form of sharing is that when we share prayer requests. Listen, I just want to tell you about so-and-so, and this is, you know, here's what he's doing, he's involved in, well, you, just, you just need to pray for him. Oh, okay. See, we didn't just gossip, we just shared a prayer request. It's a loophole. And when it fits in nicely, you get to walk away from the conversation, you don't feel guilty. In fact, you feel kind of spiritual, you feel kind of good about yourself and a little superior. Another loophole is the one that says, you know, if you do something wrong, it absolves me from having to do the right thing too. I think the most infinite, uh, infamous, excuse me, people that do this are married couples. You know, isn't this true? 
Well, yes, I yelled at you. And yes, I was rude and everything, but it's not my fault. You were being so mean. And you were being so inconsiderate and so selfish. And so, so I can do this. No wonder I yelled. No wonder I slammed the door. No wonder I stormed out. It's your fault, woman. <laughs> you know, it's not my fault. We try to justify our sin and what we do by using somebody else's behavior as the real problem. Yeah, I cheat a little on my expense reports, but I wouldn't have to do that if my company, the cheapskates, if they would just give me enough money to be able to do what I need to do, I wouldn't be forced into this position. It's the company's fault. You know, we, we shift the blame. Yeah, I lied to my parents yesterday about where I was going to go last night and who I was with and everything. But if they would trust me, I wouldn't have to do this, right? I mean, they wouldn't put me in this position of having to kind of bend the truth a little bit if they were more reasonable. Oh my goodness, I just wish mom and dad would grow up. It's not your fault. It's their fault. Bless your hearts. You angels. The problem is, I mean, and there's just, it just goes on and on and, and on the way we justify that. I've even heard people, because I'm a pastor, uh, and, and people think I know everything uh, about everything in the church, they, they come up and, and say, you know, I hadn't been giving. And I always look at them like, yeah, I knew that. I knew that. I knew exactly, you know, I don't know. But I know I'm supposed to, but... We're having a really hard time right now, and I know that my higher priority is that God wants me to take care of my family, and so the money I was going to give, I can't afford to do both, and I just think God wants me to give to my family. I've had people say that. Well, I can't really tithe because I'm so far in debt. I believe God wants me to get out of debt. I read Ramsey's book, I read, you know, and, and I think he wants me to get out of debt, so I'm not going to tithe uh, until, I get, until I get over this hump. You understand? Yeah, okay, kind of. One of the most classic was from a guy in Memphis I knew. He said, you know, I, I, don't, I don't tithe, I don't give my money to the church because I feel like God has led me to give my time. He just wants me to give my, my time to the church. I said, well, let me ask you this. If you think an Old Testament Jew under the law can give 10%, do you think we as believers should give at least that or maybe even more because we're under grace and we're freed up and we're just doing it out of a heart of love? He said, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I said, okay. So are you saying instead of tithing your money, you're going to tithe your time? He said, yes. I said, that's, that's wonderful. I said, it's amazing. That's almost 17 hours a week. We're going to fire our landscaping crew. And, you know, the, the, some of the maintenance people, we're, going to, we're just going to have you come over 17 hours a week every week and, and do those tasks. He said, no, that's not what I meant. <laughs> I said, I know that's not what you meant. You see, it's a loophole. And we do it all the time. Folks, the, the problem is there are no loopholes that absolve you from God's call to obedience. You can play games with yourself and with other people around you, and you can kind of you know, build this, this Lego design idea with, with God. As you see, I'm not responsible because my situation's different, and... You know, I had a couple who were living together, and they were not married, and I challenged them about that, and I said, I think you need to move out. I said, I think this is causing a lot of problems. You need to move out, and, 
And, and they said, oh, no, no, no. I said, well, you know, it's, it's, the Bible says not to do that. It, it's, it's a serious thing. And they said, we know. We know the Bible says that. But we prayed about it. And we believe God said, okay. <laughs> oh, wow. God has said no millions of times all to every other couple in the world who's ever walked on the face of the earth. But he got to you and went, no, all right, kids, get out of here. You know, and he, he said, no, you're just, you're trying to create something that's, that's not there. There are no loopholes that give you permission to sin. I hope that was clear enough for you. You can wrap it up in religious terminology. You can put a shining kind of face on it, and, and you may twist it. You can blame somebody else's behavior. You can run it through your twisted logic and all of that, but it doesn't change the fact that God sees sin as sin, and he sees obedience as obedience. And he's never confused about which is which, and neither should we be. So if you don't want to be a modern-day Pharisee and fall into this trap, you've got to remember there's no loopholes to obedience. Now, here's the second thing that I think Jesus was teaching. There's no substitute for love. Look at verse 7. You hypocrites. What did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, he said, I mean, can you imagine somebody reading something? It's, you know it's about to be very negative and goes, oh, here's a verse about you. <laughs> I think that's kind of funny. Uh, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. They're taking commandments of men and they've elevated them to doctrine. They've woven it into their theology. This is a part of our belief system now uh, that, that we're locked into. And, and what, what God is saying is, I'm holding you guys to a very high standard. And it's not enough for us just to go through the right motions and say all the right words. He expects us to really be and mean who we say we are and what we do. He doesn't want you to hear you talk religious. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. Have you ever been in a relationship with somebody, maybe a friend, maybe even a relative or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or somebody that um, they say the right things, uh, maybe even did the right things, but something, just something about their heart didn't seem right? You ever been in one of those relationships? And you can kind of feel that and you can kind of, Hmm, something, you know, just something intangible that just seems to be missing. How did that make you feel? You didn't like it, did you? Listen, it works the same way with God. You can get dressed up, you can buy a Bible, you can do, memorize verses, you can act religious, you can, you know, go to Christian concerts, and your heart be so far away from God. And then you stand before Him and say, why aren't you pleased? I, I don't, I'm not gambling away money. I'm, I'm not, you know, eating pills. I'm, I'm not drinking it up. I'm not, you know, I'm not doing all these behaviors. I'm being good. I'm going to church. I said a blessing before my meal at McDonald's. God, how much more religious do you want me to be? 
you know, God will answer it. You missed the whole point. I don't want all that stuff so much as I just, I want you. I want your heart. I mean, not, I mean, if, if that were all there was to it, we could just maybe get married to robots, right? Or have somebody come in and cook and somebody else to come in and clean. And so you, th- you think, hey, or maybe somebody else to go work or somebody else to fix your car. And you think, yeah, I just, I just need the stuff done. But you don't get married for that reason, do you? You don't enter into friendships or relationships because of just what that person can do. No, it's because there's an affection there. Because, you know, that person loves you. God doesn't want us just to serve him as much as he wants us to love him. He wants to be in our hearts. And traditions, these rules, they don't require an integrity of heart. Uh, And that's what's missing for a lot of people. I've stood right about here and performed a lot of weddings. I've actually done 92 weddings uh, throughout my ministry, which is about two or three a year uh, over the last 30 years. And I've done some that are really different from others. Uh, I've done some, and I always tell a couple, I'll do anything you want to do. Please don't make me sing or dance much. I will a little because I'm pretty good. But, you know, I don't want to steal the show. Um, I'd, I'd rather wear a shirt. I'd rather, you know, but if you want to do it underwater, if you want to do it on the roof, you know, okay. I said, I, 20 years from now, you're going to wish you didn't. You're going to look back and go, what were we thinking using the Bon Jovi song? It just, ah, we just wish we hadn't done that. You know, it's so dated now. We should have gone with Lady Gaga like I wanted to do, you know. <laughs> but you didn't, and we do all those things. Some things are pretty traditional. And there are things that... um. You know, like lighting of the unity candle. Sometimes couples will take communion or they'll pray together. They exchange vows. Almost every wedding, in fact, I think every wedding I've done, they've traded rings. They've exchanged rings. It's just a very beautiful, meaningful, uh, symbolic part uh, of the ceremony. You know what? Those are just symbolic traditions. Lighting candles, trading rings, uh, that's not going to keep them together. You know that, and I know that. By going through those rituals, you think, yeah, I think that couple's good. I think they're going to stay together for as long as Clint and Christine, which is years and years and years and years and years because they traded rings. No. All of us have been touched in some way by painful reminders, either in our life or people's lives that we love, by divorce. Because it's not, it's not those things that keep them together. God wants you to love him. Not just go through the rituals. He wants heartfelt devotion, and there is no substitute for it. Remember this commandment. Jesus said it's the greatest commandment. He said this is the greatest commandment. It's in, it's in Matthew twenty two thirty seven, And it's a reference back to Deuteronomy 6, 5. It says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Jesus didn't say, love the Lord and wash your hands and don't ever touch a dead person and cross the street when you see a Gentile and don't go out of your house on the Sabbath and don't light a fire. I mean, he, he didn't go through all that. He just said, love God with your heart and your soul and your mind. Folks, if you want to avoid becoming a modern-day Pharisee, you just need to love the Lord with your heart. Uh, 
the thing I found out in my life and in other people's lives is that once God gets your heart, those other things, that stuff you struggle with, that's going to begin to fall into place. It, it really will. Some of the things you have fought, oh, I'm going to be good today, and I'm going to get this right. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to go there. I am going to do this. And you, ah, I failed again. You're going to be amazed this time next year because God has your heart. You think, well, I don't know what happened with the battle over that. It just seemed to go away when I fell in love with Jesus. And I just began to live for him. There's one other thing um, th- that we need to get from this. Uh, before you walk out. And uh, I, I want you to focus on this one because it's, it's pretty important, important in our culture. And I know your blood sugar's dropping and maybe you're starting to shift gears. Stay with me with this one. There is no replacement for purity. Verse 10 and 11 says this. One version says, And he called the people to him and he said to them, Listen, hear me. And understand. Uh, It's really a phrase that means, I want you to listen with comprehension. I want you to really pay attention. Kathy has, I have a a game, it's it's an iPhone game uh, called Words with Friends. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you play that, it's like Scrabble. She's kind of gone nuts over it, and she wants to play it every day. I thought it would be something we would do, you know, once in a while or something. We're really, really bored. Let's play Words with Friends. I didn't know it would be, oh, it's morning. It's time to play Words with Friends. Are you awake? Look, I've already got it started. I got the first word. And then lunchtime, we ca- and then it, it's night. Let's play Words with Friends. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Um, you know, and it just, God bless her. It's, and she's really pretty good at it. But she's so intense, and she looks at it, and she finds, and I look at it, and I think, there are no words. You can't make anything out of that. Oh, yeah, I see one. And she starts creating these words. That's why I hate playing. I get a word. I go, look, I can spell cat. (laughs) Beat that. Okay, look, discombobulate. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) Lord, why do you, why do you, I don't don't like games. I don't want to play games. You know, because she looks with intensity and she looks with focus. And I think there's, there's no, you know, replacement for that. And that's what Jesus is saying in the very first part of this. He goes, listen, really Really focus on this. Here's what he says. Uh, verse 10. It takes me a second to, to refocus here because, uh, you know, my, my eye, and I just love my eyes, though. I do. And I whine about them, but I'm just so glad I have them. Um, and he called the people to him and he said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came to him and and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? (laughs) You think? Oh, they're offended that you would get so personal with them and call them out uh, like that. Jesus goes on to say, drop down to verse 17. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and it's expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, etc., etc. 
these are what defile a person. Then Jesus stopped, and I love this. But to eat with unwashed hands? Seriously? Really? That doesn't defile anyone. And ever since I've read that scripture, I have not washed my hands. I don't care. It's not a sin. You say what you want. You judge me if you want to. I'm not washing these. They're fine. I'm <laughs> just kidding. You know, it's for a different reason. What Jesus is saying is as, it's just as plainly as it reads right here. The externals don't really matter so much. That's not the big deal. A couple of years ago, I, I met a guy in this room right before worship service starts. I usually come in a couple of minutes early, you know, and just kind of check things out. Uh, and there was a guy sitting in this, in this middle section, and he was all by himself. And I thought, yeah, I'd kind of like to meet this guy. He had blonde, kind of Kevin Adkinish hair. It was real spiky, you know, with blonde tips on the end and everything, just really, really cool uh, hair. Uh, he was pierced. Both eyebrows were pierced and his nose and his lip right there. Just really cool. And I'm thinking, man, that, that had to hurt. And I can see tattoos disappearing down his neck into his shirt and up his arms into his sleeves. And he's got on a black T-shirt black jeans, any of those heavy black biker boots, anybody wearing those today? I know it's probably a little hot for them, but they're, they're pretty, pretty massive. You know, and he's, he's got those, on, and he's sitting all alone. And so I kind of figure that he's, he's come by himself, and he's looking around. You know that look around, look that people look around with, like, I know no one, and I'm trying to appear comfortable until the show starts? <laughs> but he kind of had that. And you know what? In my heart, here's what I thought. I'm, I'm over here in this area, and I thought, man, I'm going to go over and introduce myself to that guy, and I'm going to pray that during the service today, he would accept Christ. I'm going to pray. I don't know how he got here. He obviously doesn't know anyone. I'm going to pray that he'd receive Jesus into his life and into his heart. And so I prayed that prayer, and I went over, and I met the guy. And we're in this conversation, and I start talking to him. And guess what? He is a devoted follower of Jesus. He said, yeah, about five years ago, I was going through this terrible time, and I was on drugs, and my life was falling apart. I had lost my family. I was separated from my wife. He said every, the wheels had totally come off you know, in every area. He said, and a friend began to tell me about Jesus, and I began to go to church with him. And, and he said, one thing led to another, and I, and I received Christ into my life. And he said, Pastor, you won't believe how everything has changed for me. He said, my wife came back to me. He said, we're happier than we've ever been. He said, I just was able to baptize my 13-year-old son. He said, I'm in a Christian band and we rock. He said, we rock like Chase Mackey. I mean, we, we just, we really. He said, God's just, just, he said, I just praise God for, you know, and I thought, oh, that's awesome. I went back and I stood in my place and then here's what I began to think. You Pharisee. See, just by looking at this guy, I assumed he couldn't be a Christian. Because he didn't look like me. Now, what if five years ago, instead of coming to Jesus, if he said, you know what, my life is in shambles, I need to get my act together. What if he had gone to the mall and bought a pair of khakis and maybe an Oxford shirt or, or a golf shirt, you know, and, 
and maybe cut his hair, that cool Christian guy hair. You know how most Christian guys hadn't changed their hair since high school? I'm serious. You go look at their high school boy, and you're going, dude, that's you. <laughs> you're a little older, but you got the same hair, man. What if he said, I'm going to do that? And then he, uh, you know, took out his piercings and maybe covered up his tats. And, and, and then he came in and he said, you know, I'm going I'm to just do this. I'm going to do this. Would that have changed him? And you know what? He would still be the same mess on the inside that he was before he bought the khakis. His life would still be in turmoil because he's the same guy. You get it? Don't spend a lot of your energy thinking, I'm just going to get myself together. I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to start doing... You know, that's good. That's good in some ways. But it's not going to... It's not going to get you saved. It's not, going to, it's not going to draw you closer to God because I'll be honest with you, he doesn't care about any of that stuff. I looked up every verse I could find on how we ought to dress and every time it was negative. It was negative about trying to impress people by the way you dress. These people get dressed up and they come. I don't look at the outward appearance as man does. I look, you know what? It's your heart. It's your heart. He would rather have you pure than pretend to be or give the appearance of. It's purity. It's purity. That's what God wants from us. And, and, and to be drawn to him. Uh, you know, I want to have a ministry like that guy. I want to be able to reach unreachable uh, people. And I don't want anything about me or about us to stand in the way. And just cleaning up on the outside is not going to change you on the inside. We must have our hearts changed. Not just walk through the motions, not just get religious, uh, follow all the right customs of the Baptist or the Methodist or the Presbyterian or whatever your background is. It's not about that. It's about following Jesus. It's a question of form versus content. The packaging is just secondary. That's one of the things I love about Calvary If you're a guest today, I hope you're comfortable, and you ought to be, because some people get dressed up, and I think that looks cool. Some people just, they they wear a really nice dress or a suit, and they just, that's their tradition, that's what they, some people come in in shorts, some people just wear, some people wear, you know, and and it's like, we're from all different countries and places and backgrounds. We got doctors and lawyers and Indian chiefs and construction workers and homemakers and movie ticket takers and students and we just got mechanics, and we just got all kinds of folks. And I love that about Calvary. I love our culture. And if there's anything positive about being at 3200 Kingston Pike is that we don't all draw from just like one little place. You know, we draw from the campus and out west and north and south. I think it's beautiful. And I love worshiping here with you guys because of that. Yesterday, several people showed up here to volunteer with different things. Some were downstairs painting the children's rooms and just brightening those up. That area looks amazing. It's just, uh, you need to walk through there and check it out. Others were out front working on the landscaping, stayed all day. Uh, you know, why? Because here's, here's what happens at Calvary about this time of year. Everything changes overnight. We are an unusual church. I was trying to explain this to another pastor friend of mine. I said, because we're about a mile off the UT campus, almost overnight, 
you know, it, everything changes on Sunday mornings. And in the next two or three weeks, we're about to have a deluge of students. All these brand new faces who've never been to Calvary before uh, are going to step through those doors. We're going to have families getting off vacation and coming back in. We've got people who've you know, been traveling. and uh, Something happens at this time of year. And we know that. And we know, hey, we need to spruce up the place because... This is what I tell the staff all the time. We've got company coming. You know how it is when company comes to your house? You know, somebody ever call you and say, Hey, we just want to drop by. Where are you? Pellissippi Parkway. Oh, <laughs> like two miles from my house. Okay. And you start motioning to the kids, you know, and you're, you're putting newspaper, you're throwing newspapers away, and you're putting dishes in the dishwasher. You're just, you know, and then when they walk in and you act like it's that way all the time, Hey, come on in. Yeah, we just live like this. It's perfect. You know, we can clean up here and we can spruce up here and we're going to have a lot of guests. You're going to make a lot of new friends. We can be friendly. Uh, the, the worship service can be meaningful and engaging. We can take care of people's children to the best of our ability. We can do all those things. But if folks come in this room and they sense that we're not real, that we're just putting on a show, We're just going through the motions. And it's business as usual at Church USA today. They may drift in. They may stay for a while. But eventually, they'll fade back into uh, the fabric of our culture. Because we've got to be real. It starts with me. And it starts with you. For us to be genuine people. There's something about that. It changed my life. At that age in my life, I was a college-age man, didn't go to church, wasn't interested, went to a church. Most of the people in church were very different from me. Just like the guy, Rick, I told you about, who sat in the middle, you know, and was visiting here. I was that guy. And I had hair down to here, and I was the freak, and, you know, and, uh, you know, one of my friends was not a freak. He was a cowboy, but he brought me. I mean, you know, it was just this... But those people loved me. And I could tell they really loved Jesus. They were very serious. I could tell, oh my goodness, they're not playing games here. I don't see as many hypocrites as I do lovers of Christ. And that little church drew me to Jesus. And that little church, a year later, licensed me to the ministry and sent me off to school to study for the next seven or eight years. You know, they changed my life. Folks, we have an opportunity to change people's lives. But it won't be just because we're nice or just because we're convenient to where they live. It'll be because there's something about us that's real. Beyond keeping laws and rules and customs and rituals, but a joy and a passion in our walk with Christ. So here's, here's where we are, and here's what I'm calling you out to do. I, to be real, if you've never accepted Christ, if he's not in your life, you can change and clean up on the outside. It's just not going to work. You know, I mean, it's just not going to work. Three months from now, six months from now, a year from now, you're going to be right back where you are today. You need Jesus to fill that vacant place. And he's going to change you, like the song we did a moment ago, from the inside out. You need to live in purity. 
we need to live. We're, we're, Lord, we're just focused on you with our obedience. Would you stand with me? And let's just, let's take a couple of minutes and let's pray through, Lord, where am I in this process? Have I become a modern-day Pharisee? Am I just religious? Am I just a good Baptist? Or, God, am I really a follower of Jesus? Am I going to change this next generation? Am I going to be a part of this process as they start walking through these doors over the next few weeks? Am I going to be somebody that's a stumbling block to them because they look at me and think, not real. They're playing the game. Or am I going to be a part of that puzzle like the puzzle piece that Kevin was talking about that's missing. Am I going to be there, locked into place, consistent? Father, I want to thank you for today. I thank you for your grace and your love in our lives. You're absolutely amazing and you're overwhelming to us in the way that you love us. And I know that that's, at the end of the day, what you really long to have back from us. And I know that that love will express itself in obedience and in purity. Father, I pray that it be motivated by more than just not wanting to be embarrassed or just trying to do the right thing because that's what we've been told was the right thing. Father, would you change that so that it comes from our hearts? Would you change my heart and draw me to Jesus? Would you do that for each one of us in this room? Would you do something powerful in us today, in this fall?